0: Well, hey, if you've been here at all for the past um, months, you know that we've been in the middle of a series. We're talking about the foundational stones of what the well is, and uh, it's been an amazing series. And these are just a sampling of the past nine that we've talked through. I'm not going to go through it right now for the sake of time, but this morning we're going to dive into our tenth one. So this is kind of our exciting moment to break into double digits, the call to discipleship. And guys, this is an interesting topic. Um, A year ago, if you were here with us, actually I did a a mini-series on evangelism and discipleship, and we kind of talked about some of the practical nature of how do you actually disciple somebody. But this morning, I want to kind of go at this a whole different way, and I want to begin to just talk about the DNA of discipleship. Because if we're going to have a call to discipleship as a church family, I think we need to understand what it is that we're actually getting into, right? Okay. So this is our core verse, the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So this is the, the Great Commandment. This is the Great Commission, where He's sending us out, saying, "This is your mandate as a church." Now, as we think about this this morning, I think about the word disciple. Uh, you know, if we're going to do this, we need to know what it is, and so. What better place to look than the dictionary, right? So it has several different components. If you're a disciple, you're a pupil or adherent to the doctrines of another person. In other words, you are a learner. So if we're going to have a culture of discipleship, that's our heart. We want to be learners in this equation. But also, we're one who embraces or assists in spreading the teaching of another. So this is kind of the commission of the going out where Jesus says, now that you've got this, I want you to infect other people with it, right? And then any follower of another person, and we're not talking like Twitter followers here, okay? No, this is an actual person who walks in the steps, who says, I'm going to emulate the one that I am uh, following. And so this is, of course, the person is Jesus, right? This is the one, and really the word disciple kind of came significantly out of the early church where, where this became a deal. This is an interesting thing. We, we add ship onto the end of discipleship, This is kind of the vehicle in which discipling happens. Fascinating little fact. The word discipleship never occurs in the Bible. Didn't know that. It was interesting to find out that that's actually not a a concept biblically that they use that word. However, the concept is all over the scriptures, where it's it's modeled for us, it's, it's described to us. But this is also the noun disciple and the verb make disciples are only found in the Gospels and the Acts. So Paul never uses the word disciple. Peter, James, Jude, John, all the other writers of the New Testament never use the word disciple. So it's kind of an interesting little paradigm there. So with that in mind this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about the call of a disciple. If this is our calling as a church, it's good to know what we're being called to. Secondly, the cultivation of a disciple. And this is going to be the idea of how do we as disciples of Christ cultivate this in our own life And what is it that we're cultivating in those that we are discipling? And then finally, the core of a disciple. What is the essential nature of one who is following Christ? So let's dive into this, the call of a disciple. Um, Interesting enough, Paul never uses the word disciple or discipleship, but I'm going to use his text as a a kickoff point for this because he and Jesus, I think they tag-teamed on this deal. Paul kicks it off this way. This is in 1 Corinthians. He says, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Quick time out. He's obviously using an agricultural illustration here, right? And that was very prevalent, very... uh, I mean, the people that day and age totally understood that. We get it today, too, but maybe not quite in the same context because back then it was very hands-on. And it's interesting, Julie uh, and I... uh, have acquired a new friend over in Kenya, Africa, one of those internet, they found us on the internet and we kind of became friends kind of deal. Well, it turns out uh, Paul Odawar in Kenya has a ministry with this whole idea of, um, shoot, I lost the word, permaculture. Thank you. Awesome. He's the idea that in Kenya, agriculture is an essential component for villages to survive. And so, he sends us these pictures and he goes around village to village. He teaches people how to physically plant seeds in the ground. And then he teaches them how to water, which you're thinking, well, duh, that's no brainer. Well, in Kenya, water is a scarce supply. And so they need to learn how to actually harvest and store water. So when they water their seeds, and he has these little things called keyhole gardens, where for a family can have this little keyhole and it feeds their entire family for 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 their for their You know, the whole year. So it's amazing. And then what happens is these keyholes produce an amazing harvest. And they begin to live off of this. And so Paul is saying, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. Hey, God produced what the end result was. So let's pick up the baton. Whoops. Sorry. Backwards. Backwards. Go backwards. Backwards. No. There are ways. We have ways. Or do we? No. There we go. It's coming. Stupid technology. All right. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. That's interesting. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants, the one who waters, work together with the same purpose, and both are going to be rewarded for their own hard work. We're both God's workers, and you are God's field. Very interesting. The idea of being in discipleship, we're not as important as we think we are. God's the one who causes the growth, but he gives us the joy, the privilege of entering into this deal, okay? So as we look at this, Jesus jumps on the bandwagon, picks up the same illustration, and says it this way. And this is what John talked about last week in the kingdom, right? The parable of the four soils. Do you guys remember that from last week? Where the farmer's out scattering seed, and some of it fell on the, on the path. It didn't grow anywhere. Some of it fell on this rocky soil. It didn't grow up very well. Others got choked up by weeds. But then this one. Other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew, it produced a crop, some multiplying, 30, some 60, some 100 times. So again, Jesus says, yeah, Paul, you're right. This is a great picture of how discipleship works. So I'm going to kind of dissect each of these points a little bit. There's a cost involved in discipleship, you guys. I'm sure you, you, you knew this. And Jesus apparently did not go to any American university and get a marketing degree because he did this totally wrong according to American marketing standards. Because typically, if you're going to market something and make people want to buy in, you're going to appeal to them, right? It's like advertising today, you need this, you desire this, it's good for you, you deserve this, all this kind of stuff. Jesus didn't go any of that route. What he did is he said, if anybody's going to come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross daily and follow me. So that's a pretty strong pitch. You really want to go for that one. Deny yourself, take up a cross, in other words, be willing to die, and follow me. Right out of the gate, that's a sales pitch for discipleship. Pretty exciting. Gets better. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has can't be my disciple. So not only does he want you to deny yourself, he says, now all that stuff you've got, all the things that you think you're so great at, I want you to lay that all out and renounce it. Then you can be my disciple. Oh, it gets better. If anybody comes to me, doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Are you feeling warmed up to the sales pitch here? So you've got to deny yourself you got to renounce everything that you own, and compared to your love for him, it's the equivalent of hating all your closest relationships. And the pasty resistance, or pasty resistance, a servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Any takers? Yeah. Sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Yeah. Awesome. Well, there is a cost involved in discipleship. Well, it goes on. Not only that, there's a commitment involved, you guys. If anybody serves me, he has to follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, my father will also honor him. So actually, he does throw a few caveats to you, you know. The idea that if you're going to be a disciple, you get to be with me. I love that picture. Isn't that cool? It's just he's walking alongside, and I get to be with Jesus. You get to be with Jesus. And if you do this well, the Father's going to honor you. Pretty awesome. Okay, this will sound a little bit better now. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, again, commitment. You've got to be committed to being in the word if you're going to be a disciple of mine. You've got to absorb the things that I'm giving you, and here's the bonus. You're going to discover the truth. And that truth is going to set you free. You guys, I think this is awesome. In, in, in what we're seeing here at the well is this whole deliverance theme beginning to happen. It was this week, right, on Wednesday night, or Wednesday during, at noon, during, during, uh, during the dwell time, this, this gal walks in literally off the street, and she says, in a nutshell, this is paraphrased, I'm basically a mess, but I've heard that I can get deliverance here. Hello. We said when we started the well that the people are going to start coming to us. It's happening. And this is what he's talking about. You're going to know the truth. You're going to be set free. This is part of what the discipleship process is. Next part. Again, this is our great commission, right? To go, therefore. The commitment part of being a disciple says, yep, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to sacrifice my agenda. I'm willing to go wherever you want me to be. So the commitment aspect. There's some characteristics, things that are true of us who are called to discipleship. As we begin this process, guess what? A disciple isn't above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Jesus wants you to be a clone. He wants you to look in the mirror. I love this picture, too. He wants you to look into the mirror and see not you, but him. And see, this is kind of a scary thing about discipleship as you think about pouring into the lives of other people, the reality is the people you disciple are going to start looking like you. All your strengths and all of your weaknesses. And as a dad on Father's Day, this is pretty darn convicting because I, looked at my three, I look at my three disciples and I see a lot of my strengths and I see a lot of my weaknesses. The reality is God's grace is awesome and he walks us through that, but I mean, despite us. But this is part of it. All right, another characteristic. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What is that distinctive right here, the supremacy of love? We said this is one of our foundational stones. We want people to come into this place and see the love of Christ in us, that to feel that love emanating from this family. So he says... You want a benchmark in your discipleship? Are you a disciple of mine? You're going to love other people. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. You guys, these are things that are going to be evident. How are we doing? Are we bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Am I bearing fruit in my life? Because that is how I know I'm a disciple. That is a litmus test for how the people I'm working with, are they producing fruit? Or are they stagnant? Are you feeling stagnant? But Jesus says, you want to be my disciple, you're going to be producing fruit. All right. Pretty heavy duty, right out of the gate, right? Discipleship involves cost, it involves commitment, and it involves reflecting characteristics of Jesus. All right, let's move on. Cultivation of a disciple. And again, this is not going to be a practical how do you cultivate a disciple. This is, again, Paul, we're going to go to Paul, we're going to go to Jesus. Paul says, here's what cultivation looks like. Let's start. You are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder, and now others are building on it. So he's using the analogy of a building. So I'm going to call another quick timeout. Our boys and... uh, Julie and I were in New York City in 2008, and this was the process of starting the, the One World Tower, the, the rebuilding of the Twin Tower thing, right? And so we went into this hotel called the W Hotel, which is right next to the place where they were laying the foundation for the One World Tower. And uh, you look at that, and it's pretty impressive. This is two years' worth of work right here. They actually started construction of this building in 2006. This is 2008, and it looks like they haven't gotten very far. But you're looking at that, and it's like, wow, that's a pretty impressive foundation. Let's go back to Paul's writing now. Okay, so lay the foundation like an expert builder. Others are building on it, right? But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already laid, and that's Jesus Christ, right? As you pour into people, be careful, about the foundation you establish, and then how you build. Paul goes on. He says this. Anyone who builds on that foundation can use a variety of materials. There's a lot of different ways to go about this, but on the judgment, uh, you can build with gold, silver, and jewels, or you can build with wood, hay, and straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire is going to show if a person's work has any value. We need to read that with fear and trepidation. There's going to be a testing coming in terms of our own process of discipleship. How are we doing in our growth, but also the people that we're imparting to, it's going to be tested. If the work survives, that's a wonderful phrase right there, if it survives, the builder's going to receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. It's going to be a grieving. It's going to be like, oh, man. What a missed opportunity I had. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. I don't know about you guys, man. I read this stuff, and it just, it sobers my heart. And I recognize that this discipleship thing is a big deal. This is not something to trifle with. And so again, I think about the One World Tower. That foundation produced a building that's Pretty darn impressive. $3.8 billion worth of building. Needless to say, they invested, like, some serious silver, gold, and, and precious stones to build that place, right? That's the kind of building you want to be building, not this one. This is the Leaning Tower of Pisa, 2018. They started realizing the third story up that they were in trouble and they kept building. And so years and years and years later, we're seeing the fruit of a lousy foundation and some building materials that weren't necessarily awesome. It makes a great tourist attraction, but it's not exactly a monument to things well done, right? <laughs> we want to build a tower. We want to have something that's going to pass the fire inspection. Jesus picks up the baton and says, hey, building analogy, I like it, Paul. Everybody who hears these words of mine puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Good foundation. The rain came, the streams rose, winds blew, beat against that house, but it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus says, yeah, you want to build it there. You don't want to build it here. Everyone who hears these words of mine doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, streams rose, winds blew, beat against that house, it fell with a great crash. That house was in a pretty sweet location when it was built. I'm sure the builder said, man, this is awesome, right on the coast, this is looking good. Didn't really consider the foundation, didn't consider the things that would come against it, and when it happened, it collapsed, and great was its fall. So let's unpack a little bit more of what Jesus is talking about here. The cultivation of a disciple involves a command, and here we are again. Go, therefore, make disciples. He says, you're gonna, this, this isn't just a polite suggestion. I'm not saying if you feel like it, when you get some time, go out and make disciples. No, this is go and do this deal. This is a command, okay? Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, fruit that would last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Okay, interesting things about this is, again, he chose us. He chose me. He chose you to go do this thing. And he's saying, go, do it. And what I find fascinating about this verse is there's a correlation to how well we do that and how well our prayers get answered. This is why I love what we're doing here. We're saying, Jesus, we want to put our money where our mouth is. We want to begin praying into these things. And God, can we do this building disciples well so that our, our, our prayers are even more effective? This is Peter's famous last stand with Jesus in John 21. You know, remember that where he blows it totally, totally screws up. This is the guy he's going to build the church on. This is the guy who's like the number one disciple. He's Jesus' protege, right? And he goes out and totally screws up Jesus comes to him and says, oh, Peter, I'm still after you. You're still the man. I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to take care of my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. This is a command. This is is part of the deal. This is part of the Christian life. Hello, there's a cost in cultivating. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and isn't able to complete it, all who see it begin to mock him. See, there's a cost involved not only in following Christ, but in this whole discipleship idea, there's a cost. And see, here's a classic modern-day example. Here's a tower in Caracas, Venezuela. Interestingly enough, it's called the Tower of David. Started construction in 1990. 1993, the builder-designer funder died. 1994, Venezuela's economy collapsed totally. This building has been left, not done, since then. It's just a monument to economic failure. A sideline, socialism. A little political commentary there, but anyway, all right. It's occupied by a bunch of vagrants who sit there. The first 28 floors are inhabited by a bunch of vagrants. And they've they've just kind of made do. And and then earthquakes hit, and the top five floors have started collapsing. Jesus goes on, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. See, the disciples kind of looked at this whole discipleship label as kind of a hey, hey we're pretty impressive, man. You know, look at us. Hey, they can't be part of our club, right? And hey, man, you want me to call down fire and destroy all those people, Lord? Because we're pretty cool. And by the way, uh, can I bring my mom in and just say, hey, can I have the best seat in the house when you set up your kingdom here? Because, you know, I'm a disciple after all, right? And Jesus says, "Uh, gentlemen, course correction. I am going to wash your feet as an example of what I want you to do with other people. Discipleship. Being a disciple is not a glory trip. It is a servant trip. Some cautions with this idea of cultivating. We kind of caught that idea that, you know, be careful how you build, right? Lest the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Guess what? We need the designer. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear a lot of fruit. But apart from me, you can't pull this deal off. So this is, this is God talking to us, saying, again, this is something that you can't do. Next one. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance, but I hold it against you. <laughs> You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. repent. Do the things you did at first. So again, here's, here's a church that was going for it, man. They were going for that discipleship model, right? And they were pouring out, but yet they lost it because they lost their focus, which really, sets the stage for our final component here, okay? The core of a disciple. What is the core of a disciple? If it starts with a command. Which command is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He said, of all the commands, this is the preeminent one, this is the heart, this is the core of the men who's going to follow me, of the woman who's going to follow me. Jesus said to Simon Peter, and this is, again, the, the final standoff with Peter, right? This is Jesus' opening question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, initially, I used to think that was more than the other disciples, but I'm thinking it was the fish. Because, right, what did he do? He went back to what was comfortable, he went back to the thing that, you know, when he's totally screwed up, it's like, well, I guess I'm a total failure, so I'm just going to go back and do what I know how to do. And, and so he starts fishing, and I think Jesus is saying, Simon, do you love me? Do you love them more than you love me? Do you love those stinking fish more than you love me? It's easy to fall into what we think is comfortable. It's easy, but Jesus says, man, I, the core here is I want you to love me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Peter. My biggest command is what? What's the biggest command? Hey, if you love me, that's the biggest command. Awesome. Sweet. All right? Because he knows that there's a connection that happens unlike any other. Jesus went up on the mountain. He called to him those he wanted, and they came to him he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So here is, Jesus Jesus is picking his disciples, right? And he goes up on a mountain, he prays, and he says, I I, I want these guys. And they came to him and he says, I want you to be with me. And then I'm going to send you out. We need to get that order right. I want you to be with me and then I will send you out. I want you to love me, then I will send you out. This is good. Withness versus witness. Got to read that kind of carefully. Our primary calling is to be with him, and out of that flows all ministry. That's profound. If it's a call to discipleship here, well, family, it's a call to be with him. That's why encounter with Jesus, number one. That's our number one focal point. If we fail here, the rest of it can go the way of all all things. And Jesus is reinforcing it here. It gives us confidence. I'm going to ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that he'll be with you forever. He did not just say, oh, on the discipleship thing, guys, uh, good luck. Hope you can pull it off. Go out there. Be warmed and filled. Just, Just do that. Okay, do that discipleship thing. No, he's like, you guys, you guys are in trouble, man. You need serious help. I mean, he knows who I am, man. He knows I need help, right? Marvin doesn't need so much help. But I, I need a lot of help, man. So, but anyway, that's awesome. And not only in this life, but this is good. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, right? There's more than enough room in my father's house. If this weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me forever. That is his heart. That is his desire. That is the passion that we want to breed into those that we disciple, to understand that withness is the big deal. We'll wrap up with this statement that I think is so profound. Our greatest ministry is the presence we bring to one another from having been with Christ. You guys, as we do ministry here at the well, as we do discipleship, the greatest gift we can give to one another is the fact that we spent time with Jesus. That's when it means something. That's when it has power. Witness precedes witness. So guys, probably not the discipleship talk you were thinking, but that's the core of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I, "This is a high calling. This is a heavy-duty price. There's a commitment. There's a cost factor involved, but there's all sorts of promise that goes with that." I want—I don't know about you guys. I want to hear, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." So, as we think about ministry time right now, um, now I'm just going to turn this over to my man Marvin. I think he didn't know I was going to do that, but I just—I sense that I should do that, but. It's easy to listen to some t- a talk like this and feel kind of like, "Wow, who you know? Who are the people that are discipling you?" That's maybe that's a good question. Who's pouring into your life? And then the second question is, who are the people that you're pouring into? Because see, for discipleship to work, you got to have both. You got to have people pouring in, and then you also have to be the conduit to pour out and you may feel like you failed. You may feel like man, I don't have either of those in my life. Well this morning I want us to begin to apply discipleship principle number 1. You've been worth, you've been with Jesus, right? You've allowed Jesus to infect your life. It's time to pour out into others around you. And so maybe you don't feel like you've got it all together. Maybe you don't feel like you you've got that connection with Jesus. But Marvin, I don't know man, I how you feel the spirit directing this thing, but uh, I just trust his heart.